So Galatians chapter 6, I'm going to be in verses 9 and 10. We'll kick off from there. And then I just want to share with you a few things today. So every now and then it's kind of weird. Um, whether it is the something that I'm studying for Sunday morning or whether it is small group or uh, teach on Wednesday night and uh, some other times Thursday morning, it's really weird. And then conversations that I have with people and sometimes, you know, totally unrelated to texts or topics or ideas or whatever, but somebody will just say something and you go, you know, God, I think I see what you're up to there. You know, it just all seems to fit in ways that there's no way that that I could have have made that happen. There's no way that the person who's talking to me could have known that it was going to relate as much as it did, but it just does. And so I always have taken those things when there's just that much convergence of a thought or an idea as God saying, James, are you paying attention or not? Okay. I think it's a work of the Holy Spirit. I think it's one of the ways that he does things. I think it's good to be attuned to that. Now, true, Satan can kind of try and mess up that game or, or get you to buy into things you shouldn't. So be discerning and be in the word so that you know what's what. But pay attention whenever it seems like God is telling you the same thing from all these disconnected, supposedly disconnected, connected by the Spirit, from all of these disconnected sources. Pay attention to that. That's kind of a parenthetical bonus lesson I'm going to give you. Uh, but that's one of those things that I've, I've tried to pay attention to. So this week, I just had several opportunities where it seemed like, okay, I'm supposed to be paying attention to this. And I thought I would share it with you this morning. It started early in the week, by the way. Uh, we looked last week at a text that was meant for us to be an encouragement and a strength to go out and be the people God's calling us to be. And then uh, Tuesday, I think it was, yeah, Tuesday, I was studying with a friend of mine. And some of y'all know that I do this. I study with a friend on Skype uh, once every couple, three weeks. And uh, we've done that for years. As long as we've been here, I've been studying with this person uh, at least once or twice a month. And uh, we're, we're going through right now some of the teachings of Jesus and parables of Jesus uh, just as a, a Bible study for us. And... One of the things that came across in that study, I don't know if I'd never thought of it before or if I just have a bad memory, and I have said before, I'd never thought of that before and then found it later in my notes from 10 years ago. So that, that could happen. Uh, this is just, I'm, I'm that old. And so I'm young, but I am that old. And this little characteristic of the Good Samaritan story jumped out at me. Now, we just went through our series ourselves on the parables, and he's not here. That's why we were doing that in that Bible study. Um, and so it might seem kind of funny to go back to that again, but I didn't teach it this way just uh, last year or the year before, whenever that was. So I want to catch that. But first, we have to read Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let's look at this. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Simple passage. Very easy wisdom to understand. Just Paul telling a church that's going through a lot, don't give up. There's a lot on your plate. There's a lot going on. Don't get tired of doing what's good, and don't get tired of doing what's right, because it does pay off in the end. So that I want us to keep in mind, but I, I, I also want to put it in a perspective. 
So this time of year, I mentioned the announcements. We have several things that are going on. So we've got uh, an extra thing of the towels for the houses for healing. We've got our normal uh, boxes over here. There's other things that are going on within the community that a lot of you take part in, uh, whether that's serving a meal on Thanksgiving Day or taking people into your home or whatever. You're, you're doing a lot. There are all of our normal ministries that we do of helping people and and contributing to people's needs. There are funerals that come up, and uh, people did a wonderful job yesterday of providing for the Thedford family in that. But there's there's just all different kinds of things going on. And after a while, sometimes people get a little bit um, well tired. You know, you get you get kind of zapped and sapped and tired, and you feel like, oh no. Uh, you start praying kind of through over the prayer list of, Lord, you got to keep that one alive one more time because I don't have another casserole in me. And I'm, I'm not making light, but there's a, sometimes people get, get weary of doing good. Paul wouldn't have said it to the church at Galatia if it wasn't a possibility. He wouldn't have said it if it wasn't beyond possibility and if it wasn't a reality. Some people in that church were saying, man, I'm worn out. Okay? That's normal. Okay, it's normal to be worn out, especially if we make the mistake of trying to do the Lord's work on the people's strength. And sometimes we do that individually. We just kind of we, we try and get all those things done and we're not taking time to draw strength from the Lord. We're not taking time to regain strength in prayer and from the word and from one another. And so we just keep keep pulling from that cup and eventually that cup gets real empty and then. We're dry as a bone, and that's when burnout happens, right? So Paul tells us this because it is a very real thing. Add into that things that are going on right now. One of the things I mentioned at the beginning of last week is you got these big picture things. You've got things that stress on you that may not actually have a direct impact on you, but they still stress you. You look at headlines about uh, the wars and rumors of war and possibilities of war, and it does wear on you. It does stress you out. Some of you know people. A lot of us know people uh, that are either over there or were over there, uh, over at Austin Avenue, Morris and Janice Horton. Their kids went back when all of this started on purpose because they said that's why we're there to minister and it's time. And so that puts on them extra stress and extra concern, and extra prayer, and, and truthfully, extra worry. And that's a lot of us. You've got reasons to be concerned. You go to the grocery store. I mentioned a few weeks ago, average price of bread in the United States is now the highest cost of any country in the world. The average price of bread across the country is $3.50. And you say, well, that's just $3.50. Some of you did not just say that. You're about to swat the person who just said that. Because that's hard. Add it all up. You've seen it. And those stressors happen. And so you have that. You have various health issues if you're somebody who's highly empathetic, just hearing about everybody else's problems, even just right now, is already wearing you down. And it makes you tired and you feel overwhelmed and you ask the question, well, what can I even do about all of that anyway? And it's real easy in that moment to grow weary of doing good. What good is it for me in my little spot in the world to do the little things I'm doing if if one person can go and blow up half a country and start a war that who knows when it'll end. What good is my little bit where I am? Who is it that wants you to ask that question that way? Satan. 
Because if he can get you discouraged and tired of doing good or making you feel like your good is insignificant, you know that doesn't come from God. Because God will never put into you that your work for good is insignificant. God will never say that any gift given to you in his name and to his glory and to the ends of his kingdom is insignificant. It's God who says don't despise the small things. It's God who inspired the hymn writer to say little is much when God is in it. It was God in the flesh, Jesus himself, who sat across from this widow lady and sees her put in two mites. And he's not just speaking metaphorically, and he's not just trying to make her feel better. He genuinely was impressed by her gift. That's our God. There's no too small. There's no insignificant. And he doesn't want you to feel like it's not important, not helpful, or not enough. Because he may have created you for just those two mites, for just that small effort. And the seed that it creates in someone else's heart because of love. So, I had one of those aha moments the other day when I was reading Good Samaritan Parable. Go over there to Luke chapter 10, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. I don't think there's probably any parable that's any more familiar, whether you're even a Christian or not. Almost everybody knows the story. You at least kind of know about it. You have hospitals, uh, the uh, named uh, Samaritan Hospital. My daughters were named and were named. They weren't named. Well, we did name them at the hospital. They were named and born and all of that stuff in the hospital named after this parable, Samaritan Hospital. And we have ministries, Good Samaritan Ministries right down here. But it's not even the only one. Uh, but it is one, the Good Samaritan Ministries, because of the, the echoes of, of the goodness of what happens in this parable. By the way, Another little parentheses is going up because this is the, my mind thinks in parentheses. I just throw them freely all over the place. They're not squirrels. They're parenthetical statements. Okay, that's important. Big distinction because uh, I planned on this one, so it can't be a squirrel. It would be a scheduled squirrel. Good Samaritan Ministries every year this time of year. This is opening weekend of, of regular hunting season. And one of the things they have is the Deer Project. And the Deer Project is incredibly important because they get thousands and thousands of pounds of meat that goes out to families in our community in Brown County. little advertisement here. So if you are a hunter and you have tags and you have a freezer, like right now my freezer, I couldn't get a deer and have anywhere to put it. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go and give it to somebody else instead. So when uh, you go hunting, and you say, okay, well, I've got enough for my family. This is what Good Samaritan asks you to do. Look at your tags. You still got one left. Go get a deer. Take it to one of the drop-off points for Good Samaritan at one of the processors. And that becomes 30 pounds on average, 30 pounds of ground meat for families in our community. 30 families dinner, one deer. So do that. You got a chance to do that? You go do that. And uh, especially because um, one of the things that they shared with us at Kiwanis this week is last year was actually the lowest amount of food they've gotten in years. Uh, of course, there were some issues there out of people's control with um, just the health of the deer and things like that last year. So there was some of that. There's also less and less huntable land around here for normal people to go hunt. 
And people who shoot $20,000 deers rarely give to the Good Samaritan their meat. And so as those high fences, and I'm not knocking them, I know there's people here who, who are a part of that, so don't take that the wrong way. It's just a reality that they were sharing. As that has taken over Brown County, the ability for people to go and get deer for the Good Samaritan Project is going down. If you have any influence there, maybe you can go talk to somebody and say, hey, we're having an impact. It's not, it's not you know, there's good impact and bad. It's always a mixed bag, but this is an unintended consequence. And can we do something to help with that? Y'all know some people. Y'all go talk to them. If they can't send a deer, they can send a check. Um, but that's that's a real thing. I did throw that in there. <laughs> it's Send it to Good Samaritan Ministries, Brownwood, Texas. Find it on the Internet. Uh, but anyway, all of that matters. It's not insignificant. And so it's and it's not just going out and playing. You're going out there, you hunt, you get that for somebody else and you give 30 meals on tables. And to that, Paul says, I hope you don't get tired of doing that because that's a blessing to people in ways you don't even know. And I know. There's also people who do that personally. They go and they just fill somebody's freezer. And it doesn't go through that ministry, but it, it is ministry that happens in other ways. And that's happening, too. And that's a blessing. There's a lot of good that goes on you don't see in that world of things. So that was I, I'm going to say it one more time. That was not a criticism. It's just an unintended consequence that they're starting to see put a dent in the help that goes out to the families in our county. And it's one of those things you wouldn't you wouldn't think of. You, would, you wouldn't think that would be a problem, but it, it kind of is. Now back to the parable, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Verse 25, this lawyer stands up and puts Jesus to the test. So it's a disingenuous question, but he asks it anyway. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, wise as he always is, flips the question on him. I love this. He flips the question and says, well, you tell me, you know the law. What does it say? And the guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And... Jesus says, you know what? Not a bad answer. But let me tell you a story. I love it when he does that. Lawyers don't like it when he does that. Pharisees don't like it when he does that. But but we like it when Jesus does that because you always know it's going to be good. He starts telling the story. And you know the story, so I'm not going to read it all verse by verse, um, but we'll fly over it right quick. You have you have a Levite and a priest, and they they come by and they see this guy who's on the road. He's been attacked. He's been robbed. He's been beaten and left for dead. And he's there on the road to Jericho. It had a reputation for being a dangerous place to go. It's like, you know, driving from Acuna to central Mexico. There's just, there's a problem there. And so this was something that they were aware of. A Levite comes along, he sees the guy, and what does he do? He, well, he crosses over here to the other side of the road. He's not going to help that guy because, you know, it's dangerous around here. And if I stick around too long, they could get me too. I'm reading that into his mind. I don't know that that's what he was thinking, but it's possible. The other Sunday school answer for that is, well, you know, he was a Levite, so he had to get to the to the temple because he had duties to do. And so he was going to hurry up and get there. And that's what he's doing. And so he's just he's really religious. It's like you're going late to church. You see somebody with a flat tire. Stop me if you've heard that example before, because I have. Uh, but you're going to church. You see somebody with a flat tire. Oh, I can't help you. I got to get to church. That was what I always heard in Sunday school. But, you know, I didn't actually read that in the text either. We make a lot of excuses for the Levite and the priest. I wonder why we do that. But we make them. We actually don't know why they didn't care. What we know is they did not care. Okay? They didn't care. That's the bottom line. Jesus didn't put excuses in there for why they didn't stop. 
because I think he wanted us to examine our own hearts and go, well, what would make me not do that? I heard somebody the other day, they were making excuses, and somebody asked them, well, what kind of a man makes an excuse like that? Oh, that's kind of a direct question, isn't it? And then when the person didn't know how to answer, they asked the question again. Oh, well, since then, I've kind of made that a thought exercise myself, not on others, but on myself. When you're thinking about something and you're looking at it from an angle, you go, so what kind of a man would think that? What kind of a man would do that? What kind of a man would respond that way? And just to make myself think, and is that the one that you want to be? And I think that's why Jesus does this. So that we'll look at the Levite and the priest and go, wow, what kind of a man would just do that? And then go, oh no, have I been that man? I do think one of the things that he's doing, this is a lawyer, this is a religious lawyer, okay? Uh, in our world, it'd be like a, in the Catholic system, they have people who are canon lawyers. It's not federal law, state law, judicial law. It's church law is a canon lawyer. They have to know the church traditions and what's legal within church law and tradition. And it's that kind of a lawyer, but for... Uh, Judaism that we find here in this story. That was his job. His job was to know the law of Moses, to know the the rabbinical traditions and all of the laws that they had made and to know whether or not you were in good standing with God and God's people. He's that kind of a lawyer. Aren't you glad there are not Church of Christ, Church tradition lawyers? I mean, I've known people who thought they were. I have known them, uh, but, there are, but there aren't any, and you you should be thanking God for that, Okay. Because it's not good. People like that tend to get all wrapped around themselves and around their rules and become watchdogs and bulldogs and things like that. And that's what this guy was. He, that's, why he's, that's why he's having the conversation in the first place. Is because he is trying to wrap that around Jesus. What he does is ask a question that seems like a good question. You know, what should we do to inherit eternal life? What Jesus does in flipping it on him makes it not about Jesus but about this man. And the whole story is asking this lawyer, now what kind of a man would be like you? And is that the kind of a man you wanted to be? And what do you have to do to change that? Those are tough questions, aren't they? Those are tough questions. They're good questions, though. But they're tough. So he tells him this story to get him to kind of think that way. I think he relates to a Levite and a priest. I think he relates these men in the story to this lawyer because this is one of the things that I caught that I never really thought about before. The Levite is really close to the lawyer. They work together. They're religious together. They discuss the law together. But it's far enough away from the lawyer that Jesus isn't attacking lawyers. He's not saying... You know, there was this lawyer that came down the road. That's how we would tell the story. We wouldn't even be be sly or anything about it. We would just say, you know, there was a lawyer. He was from a small town in central Texas. And do you know what he was doing? And we, you know, it's like a little too on the nose. He doesn't do that. He gives him just enough distance that the guy can say, oh, yeah, those Levites, I know them. But close enough that he has to know, you know, we think a lot alike. Hmm. And has to think about it. Same with the priest. They're all from the same world. They run in the same circles. So it does relate, but he's not attacked. He's just letting him know, I see where you are, and I see the struggles that you guys have. And let's talk about this one. 
and so brings out the Samaritan. This is where we usually focus. The Samaritan, who is somebody the lawyer would not have liked, the Levite would not have liked, and the priest would not have liked, and the people in the crowd around Jesus, when he's telling the story, would not have liked. Okay, this is like at the level of Israeli versus Hamas. I mean, this is a huge difference between these people. And he says, here's this Samaritan, but the Samaritan, he does the right thing. This Samaritan is actually, he cares. That's the difference, isn't it? He cares. Who cares what was on their schedule? Do you care or not? He cares. Was he tired? Probably. He's having to walk, like from here to Abilene. So, yeah, he's probably tired. So what? He cares. And he cares about this other human being. And it doesn't matter that there's no relationship between the two. And that if the guy wakes up, he might be mad at the Samaritan helping him. This might be like some of you laying there almost dead on the side of the road. And somebody in a UT shirt comes and tries to help you. Ralph would summon just enough strength to roll over into the ditch and get away. Am I right? That's not, that's not going to happen. It's bad. It's bad. And yet he helps him because he loves and because he cares. Now, here's the thing that is my big aha. I am getting there. This was the big thing. I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at the actions the guy takes. So he dresses his wounds. He takes care of him. He takes him to the end. When I was in Sunday school, it was always a big deal made about the fact that he goes and he pays for the inn and how much it costs and the fact that he leaves behind his American Express card, because I guess that's what the Sunday school teacher had, because that was the example, leaves behind his American Express card with the innkeeper, that's brave, and says, you know, whatever other expenses there are, I will cover them. And it was always presented in a way that made it sound like the Samaritan has just like practically given away a free Cadillac. I mean, this is just so generous and so over the top and so amazing that as a kid, and even sometimes as an adult, I would read that and see that and think, you know, that's pretty huge. This guy is like at a heroic level of generosity. And I don't know why I never really paid much attention. I normally, whenever there's money involved in a, a parable or a story like that, I will look like with the guy who is forgiven uh, and it's like $10 million worth of debt. I'll go and I'll look so that I can kind of relate to the worth. But this one, I just never bothered because I, I trusted my Sunday school teacher. It was a lot of money. But it's not. The bill came to two denarii. A denarii is a day's wages. Now, that's significant, but it's not a lot. If you think, if you want to argue with me about that, try and live on a day's wages for the next month. Oh, it's not a lot. I don't even know if you can get a hotel for a denarii anymore. But this is what he left. Two days wages. And it hit me like a ton of bricks when I read that this week in the middle of our Bible study online. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, no, let me look at that. I actually had something. You, you take a second. I, I got to look at this again. And I'm going through it. And I'm thinking two denarii. It's just a couple of days wages. Why have we made this person out to be like Superman? Any of us can do this. And I think the point we miss in the parable is that anybody can do this. 
Jesus wasn't making the Samaritan out to have gone over the top. He was actually saying, if you think inheriting eternal life seems like this impossible, unobtainable thing, and if summing it up as loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself makes it sound like this huge ordeal, let me show you how simple and easy this actually is. The meaning of the story is the opposite of how we sometimes cast it. He's saying this is how easy it is. Two days' wages, and you're doing the will of God. That's all. Now, is that an amount we're supposed to pay attention to? No, that's actually his point. You can handle this. Because doing good doesn't come at such a high cost. Love is actually affordable. Love is easier than you think. Love is more attainable than you think. Generosity does not mean that you have to have given an entire house to somebody. It means you have to give them love and kindness and what they need in the moment. And he didn't even try to do it all himself, did he? He outsourced some of the kindness. He passes it on to the innkeeper. He offers to cover expenses, but he is making the assumption that the innkeeper is also going to do the will of God. He will continue to keep him bandaged. He will continue to keep his wounds clean. He's going to keep him fed. He's going to keep him hydrated. He's going to keep him in shelter. And he is entrusting that person to do good too. Because good people generally expect everybody else to do good too. He didn't take it all on himself. He didn't feel like he had to cancel everything and and stop the whole world. He did what he could, when he could, with what he had, and involved other people in it. That's how you keep doing good without growing weary. Involve somebody else, share the burden, do what you can, realize God is not expecting of you to completely shift and move the entire world. I'll give you two examples, and then I'm going to be done, I promise. Uh, one was yesterday at the funeral. And luckily, I don't have the letter today because I got to tell you, in the last couple of weeks, I have had more occasions to cry than a man is supposed to have in 20 years. OK, and I'm just kind of done. OK, I just I'm, I'm cried out. Uh, I don't know what the Lord's been doing, but he's been doing something. And it's just driving me a little bit batty. OK, so yesterday I'm reading this letter and it's from a guy named Leroy, who was a fifth grade student at Jim Ned. And Ramona Thedford stepped into his life. I, mean, I can feel it already. I didn't have, I'm going to do my best. When I read the letter yesterday, I had scanned the letter before. It was emails back and forth between them. And when I read it, man, one of those lines just absolutely got me. And I, I'll, I'll try to get through it. He writes to her and, and says, you know, dear Mrs. Thedford, yada, yada, yada. And he, he says, I'm a fifth grade student. I don't know whether or not you'll remember me, but... You were my teacher at a time in my life that was really hard. I'm just kind of summarizing. It's not word for word. That was really hard. He said, my mother was beating me. I didn't have everything I needed. It was hard in school, and I was having all this trouble. And he kind of goes through that list. He says, on one of those days where I'd really been beaten to a pulp, you took, I'm going to cry. I can feel it. 
you took me home for a few days. And I saw there what a real family is like. Your kids treated me just like one of the kids. You treated me like one of the kids. And I saw what love actually looks like. Now, what did Ramona really do? Was that a high cost? One extra fifth grader at the table? I mean, if you're, if you're at a buffet, yes, that's an extra cost. But at home, is that really that big? Is it a, is it something where you sit there and go, Oh, I don't know if I should, if I can really handle this. I don't know if I can do this. No, it's really not that big a deal at all. I guarantee you to Ramona Thedford, that was not a big deal. It was just the right thing to do. She saw a kid that needed loving and she loved him. She did like the Good Samaritan. She didn't love him alone. She let, she let other people participate. And so her kids showed him kindness, and Bill showed him kindness. And it was so simple. My grandparents used to do the same thing. They uh, would have a, a... There was a kid at the... What's the name of it? The Bowles Children's Home over in East Texas. And they lived nearby. And so every Sunday, they would bring this young man home, and they would have dinner and I, I, apparently every Sunday uh, for supper, they would have burritos, which because it was in East Texas, they said burrito. And I always thought that was really weird. No, that's why I don't know about that. Anyway, they, he said, I just love your grandmother's burritos. You sound funny. That's what I was always thinking. Uh, but apparently she made good burritos. I don't remember ever having my grandmother's burritos ever. Uh, but that's that's what she did. And it made a difference in his life. So it, it kept him strong. And he would go to church with him. He was a lifelong Christian, worked for one of our Christian colleges as a librarian and all of that, and just a really, really great guy. And he always credited my grandparents. He actually knew my grandparents on both sides. It was from him that I received the gift, because nobody else had ever told me this, of knowing that it was my one grandfather who had baptized my other. We were at a Dairy Queen one time, and he started talking family history I didn't know about. And he told me about all of that and gave me some things and memories that I didn't, that wasn't there for and didn't know. Very, very cool. And that just came out of something so simple as, would you like to come home with us and have a burrito? That's all it was. Lifelong faith, lifelong friendship, lifelong family out of such a very small, kind act. Yesterday, uh, coming back from the graveside, Norlene was uh, telling us about uh, somebody that some of us here in the room would know, so I'm going to keep these this very generic, um, but was telling us about a need of a young kid uh, for a pair of glasses. Now, I can relate to that, okay? If I take my contacts out right now, which I would never do on you know voluntarily, but if I, if I took them out right now, I would not be able to see my Bible right here, okay? My, my vision is such, I see right, it's right there. There's a window about that big where I can see clearly about right there. And I know it's right there because the other day I was going, when did that get right there? I thought it was right there. I don't know. It just, it's happening. And that's about how far I can see. I've been wearing glasses and contacts since the second grade. So I relate to that. She's telling me about this kid that doesn't have glasses and having to look at the screen so close the nose almost touches the screen. And my heart broke. And I told her then, this is not, not there's no credit seeking here, okay? This is just what we're going to do. I told her, you let me know, because she'd already told somebody else that maybe it'll take care of that. And I said, you let me know 
whether or not this kid gets the glasses he needs. I said, because I know where he can get an eye appointment for like $55, $60. That's nothing to most of us if it comes to helping somebody who can't see. And you can imagine being a student who can't see the board, can't see the screen, can't see the book in front of his face. That's not a luxury glasses. That's a necessity. And glasses now, you can order offline or on offline. You can, I mean, they were online when you saw them, but offline when you get them. Off a line. That's like an old man way to put it, isn't it? You can get them off of the internet. And uh, you can get those things so affordably that I just told her, I said, you find out when that's going to happen, and I guarantee you we get this kid glasses. I bet we could, we could probably get 40 kids glasses if we needed to this morning, if we needed to. That should never be an issue. Because this is who God has created us to be. And what Paul says, never grow weary in doing that. Don't ever get tired of doing that. You love every time you get the opportunity to do something like that, whether it's food for a basket or a towel to help somebody who's got somebody. Just to give you an idea, people who are going to use these towels are people who are either going through like chemotherapy or radiation or or uh, dialysis, or they're in that home because their family is in the hospital and they needed a place to stay that was affordable because they're going to be there for weeks. Towels aren't just towels. They're ministry, their love, their kindness. How easy, how easy is a towel? How easy is a little bit of boxed stuffing uh, for somebody's Thanksgiving? This stuff is so easy. So I just want to encourage you. This is the time of year we get a lot of opportunities. And I know some years it, it starts to feel like, oh my word, one more of these things. Don't let it get to you. Keep doing good. There is a serious impact. There's an email yet to be written by another Leroy who's going to say, you know what? My family was hurting, and my mama said that you were the church that sent that food, and I just want to thank you. It happens. We see it. God works through it. People come to Christ through it. Eternities are changed through it. So I'm going to read Galatians. I just read it up there. Galatians 6, 9, one more time. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. And I don't know about you, but I ain't going to give up. So we'll just jump into this with both feet, all of us together, and do the good of God, right? Let's stand and say, 